This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. A full-time college musician who breaks up with his girlfriend. Almost. Yes. (laughs) We didn't practice that. trying a little different configuration. (laughs) So the year was 1968, and Bill Anders, Frank Bauman, and Jim Lowell were in the Apollo 8 spacecraft. And it was supposed to be the first spacecraft to circum... the first crewed spacecraft. We used to say manned, now we say crewed. Um, Yeah, to circumnavigate the moon. And Anders had a camera, and he was taking a lot of pics, and his his colleagues, his co-astronauts, were kind of a little, you know, like, ho-hum about taking pictures with all else that has to happen to get a spacecraft around the moon. And Anders' main mission was to get images of the moon. But as they came around the backside of the moon, this is what they saw. Kev, can you bring that up? That's the first time that anyone had actually seen Earth from space. And it just, it just captivated all of them. The Earth had been secondary to their mission until they saw her. And eventually, it would captivate our species. And I want to read you a couple of the things that the, the astronauts said about it when they came back. They said, to see the earth as it truly is, small and blue in that eternal silence where it floats, is to see riders on the earth together, brothers on that bright loveliness in the the eternal cold, brothers who know now that we are truly brothers. And this little blue marble in the middle of all that darkness, Anders said, quote, at least for an instant, people looked upon themselves as citizens of the earth. This image really stirred a new story. It was fundamental to the birth of the environmental movement. It's where we started to hear terms like spaceship earth. People started to realize that the earth was finite and sacred and maybe even fragile. Now, probably most of you don't realize, but Reverend Jane and I organize kind of a year's worth of content loosely around quarters that are seasons. And for the last couple of years, in this time of year, we've been doing season of the earth. And today is the last session in season of the earth. So I wanted to talk about this in the context of stories, because our stories matter. And I want to read you something from um, Wendell Berry, who's a cultural historian. He said, it's a question of story. We're in trouble just now because we're in between stories. The old story, the account of how the world came to be and how we fit in it, it sustained us for a long time. We could answer the questions of our children, but now it is no longer functioning properly. And we have, yet, we have not yet learned the new story. 
I would tweak that just a little bit to say we have not yet created our new story. But there are many, many, many of us working on it. I'm going to show you something about that um, in a moment. Our stories matter. We're a storytelling uh, species. The stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell about ourselves, the stories we tell about our world, those shape our experience of life. Now, one of the most important stories for any culture is the creation story. We're living in a culture with a fairly problematic creation story. The Western Christian creation story is the verses in Genesis that talk about God made us in his image and then told us to go out and subdue nature and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all of that. Well, for many of us, Naomi touched on it last week. It's a problem. That's a problem. That, in, the, in the Christianity of my youth, that was used to justify keeping food animals in horrific torturous conditions, keeping dogs isolated, chained alone so that they could protect our stuff. It's still used today to, to underpin the argument that it's okay to wipe out nature in pursuit of economic growth. That's that creation story. And I should note that the indigenous peoples of this region have a very, very different creation story. But we're existing in a culture that really has a creation story that is a story of separation, it's a story of humans being apart from instead of a part of Earth. It's a, it's a story of entitlement rather than responsibility. I've often said to go along with our Bill of Rights, we should have had a Bill of Responsibility. Um, we, could still re, yeah, we could still rethink that. This particular story diminishes all of us, and it diminishes creation in general. Now, as far back as I can remember, um, I have had a love affair with nature. I was really lucky for my generation because when I was eight years old, my parents, who were hardworking, blue-collar people from Oklahoma, had saved enough money that they were able to buy a little eight-acre chunk of second-growth forest up in the foothills of Washington State. And it had a shack on it. It had been a little house once that had been being used as a hippie commune. And it was so run down that it came free with the property. It, had, it should have just been raised and started over, but we didn't have money for that. So every two weeks, my parents, when they would get paid, they would buy building materials, and we would slowly put this little place back together. But initially, it, ha we, we, it had no roof left, just bare rafters and you know, caved-in shingles. And we hung some visqueen plastic, you know, that thick plastic in one corner so that we had a rain-free place. And my dad made a wood stove out of a 55-gallon barrel welded to two metal chair legs that glowed red. When fire, I mean, it, there was nothing in the house to burn down, but that was a significant <laughs> fire hazard. And they both worked, and they worked a long ways from there. And so as a young kid, I spent a lot of time alone or with my little brother in nature. I got a horse. We had bird dogs. There were bear and coyotes and herons and deer everywhere. And I'll give you one story that kind of, I think, just is a good example of how comfortable I and how much love I, I did innately have for nature. This shack that we were in, was bat infested because it had no roof, you know? So eventually, as we built roof, we moved the bats out. But I was taking a, a nap. I was an eight-year-old. I was taking it, it was summer, it was warm. I was taking a mid-afternoon nap. And I had like this long kind of satiny nightgown on. And when I wake up from my nap, I rolled over and my nightgown felt kind of funny. And down on the end of it was a little bat. 
And he had lost his way, he or she had lost its way in the day. And I just thought that was the coolest thing that the bat had mapped with me. And so I scooped up my, you know, nighty and I go out and I get up and I put him in a little treat. You know, I loved it. I'm so grateful I got um, that experience as a child. Many years later, a lot of water under the bridge, um, I rejected that version of Christianity and that whole dominion theory and other things that did not sit right with the truth I felt I know. Now, in the unity spiritual movement, we understand that everything is connected and that the belief in separation is probably the grand illusion. It is probably the greatest thing that we are here to work through. For me, I would say I, I, that resonates with me personally. We know that whatever you want to call it, source, creator, universe, whatever your name for it is, it is in and present in all things, all of us, humans, non-human animals, rocks, all of it. We are all expressions, extensions of this God, source, creator power. We are that power. And when we harm any aspect of it, we automatically harm ourselves. And when we love any aspect of it, we love ourselves. That is the way it is. I've shared before, in fact, that the Unity founders, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, have a powerful ethic of reverence and respect for nature and connection. And I've shared this with some of you before, but one of my very favorite Myrtle Fillmore quotes is this. She says, I was almost accused of being a nature worshiper when I was a little girl. And I've always loved what I see in nature, as well as in all the artists who are so close to the beauty side of God. Nature is surely the glorified face of good. See the beauty about you, and you do see the manifestation of the infinite mind. I literally was accused of being a nature worshiper (laughs) by my mom, no less. (laughs) And now I'm really good with that. So dominion, dominion. Now you all probably know, or most of you know, that I've been in ministerial study with Unity for several years now. (laughs) Have completed the 900 credit hours, and there was a lot of Bible study in that, which was a stretch for me. But you can imagine my ears sharpened to points when I heard the the metaphysical reinterpretation of the dominion scripture. And Charles Fillmore described dominion as an inner consciousness that, that is obtained only through mind discipline that comes when we realize our oneness with creator or divine mind. And he suggested that fish represent ideas of prosperity and abundance, and that birds and animals are representative of our thoughts and our feelings. So that version of that story doesn't say that we have the the right to run amok over nature. It says we have the opportunity and ability to step into our God-likeness by remembering our oneness, by releasing the illusion of separation. And we do that when we develop mastery, dominion, over our own thoughts and feelings and ideas. And that comes with remembering that oneness. Right now, as we all know, in this moment of time on this planet, our species is at an inflection point in our relationship with the rest of nature and with this planet. 
The climate is changing. We're having more intense weather and fires and the things that we all know about and are dealing with and are grieving about, for sure. At the pace we're going right now, by 2050, there will be more plastic in the oceans than fish. At the pace we're going, we are here to change that pace. I believe that's why we're here right now in this time. Our culture started telling ourselves a story of dominion and of separation. And it's a story that views nature as a series of natural resources with no inherent worth except for what we can get out of it. It's a story of separation, it's done a lot of damage, and it's running its course. It's coming to the end of its course. Lots and lots of us know that, and we are working to create a new and better story. And I want to show you, I've shown this to some of you before, bear with me, um, but I want to show you, and I'll explain what this is when you start seeing it. Kev, if you could pull up the scrolling. What this is, is the beginning of a list of the names of organizations around the world that are working on protecting and restoring this planet. This is just a starting point list. If you were to start watching it scroll at this speed and watched it for 24 hours nonstop, it'd still be going. Three days later, 24-hour viewing, you wouldn't be at the end of the list. Three weeks later of continuous viewing, you wouldn't be at the end of the list. The movement to protect and, pr and restore this magnificent blue marble is the greatest social movement in the history of humanity. Yeah. yeah. It's a vast, vast movement. That photograph taken from Apollo 8 was named Earthrise. This is another Earthrise. This is the rising of awareness that we've got to shift from entitlement to responsibility and reverence. Now, we're in a movement to create a new story. We're in, a, we're in a time when we need to create a new story. And who better to do that than people who know about new thought? We need new thinking and we are in a new thought movement, right? Yes. We, are, we are a part of that scrolling list that's critically important right now. One of the um, kind of missions of my ministry is to be a little bit of the burr under the saddle pad with unity worldwide and to get our whole unity worldwide movement more vocal on these kinds of issues because I'll tell you something, I have gained a lot of hope by realizing how powerful the international interfaith, faith for environment and faith for climate movement is. It is a powerful force in our world. And this year, the, they organized an interfaith sacred season of climate justice. It ran all the way from March to the end of May. And they put together, among many other things, they also put together like a catalog of um, statements on these issues from various faith traditions. And I want to read you what Unity Worldwide included. Unity Worldwide Ministries believes that all beings are interconnected in a spiritual oneness. We affirm reverence and care for the earth and all the creatures it supports. The vision statement of Unity's Earth Care team is that all humanity lives in a spiritual consciousness that manifests as loving coexistence with all creation and care for our earth home. We act so that every step on our planet home and through our life here is an active prayer for all divine creation. Unity Worldwide Ministries supports and affirms an end to the desecration of nature 
and bold action in stopping climate injustice for all species and human populations who are disproportionately harmed by climate pollution, fossil fuel extraction and consumption, and the resulting ecological destabilization. That's part of our movement. Yeah. Yeah. There are many aspects that make me feel like I have been led into ministry and unity at the right time with the things that are happening with it right now, and, and that's one of them. Now, I've shared before, when COVID hit, I had an unusual reaction. I wasn't fearful. I was actually excited, and that is because of the work that I do um, on these issues. I knew that we needed to put the rapacious global economy in time out. And I've shown this, most of you have probably seen this, but I'm going to indulge. And it's like Morpheus in the Matrix when he says, there is a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. This is, this, is, this is unity's time to walk our path. And rethinking humanity's relationship with nature, that's not going to be done for us by governments. That is, going, that is a spiritual and moral responsibility of every single one of us alive right now. Certainly those uh, folks like us who know that we're spiritual beings and are on an intentional pathway of awakening. And I want to offer three little specific steps. The first is to decolonize our minds. We need more people who think less of themselves as consumers and more of themselves as citizens of Earth, right? Decolonize the mind, question the paradigm. I do a lot, in fact, I'll be at Unity Village doing a workshop on sacred economics next week, which is very cool that they're allowing this in, yeah. Um, and I know that no one, not, no one of us can transform the entire frickin' global capitalist economy. I realize that. But my mission with this work mostly is to get more and more of us questioning the assumptions, right? We're all existing in a system right now that isn't working anymore. It's a story that does not allow us to tell our kids what's going on. And we've got to question what is put forward to us as normal. That's why we're here. Who better than a bunch of abnormal new thought people? Come on. <laughs> Come on. If you, Martin, I think it was Martin Luther King one time who said, he's, he, I'm paraphrasing, but he said he's very comfortable feeling maladjusted to certain parts of society. Amen, right? It's a time for maladjusted individuals like us, for sure. And finally, just be love. You know, defend, protect, restore nature anywhere you can. Your own little yard, the median in the, in the unity parking lot, whatever. Save a bug, hug a tree, feel it hugging you back. They do. They do. We're such lucky beings to be alive right now on this breathtaking, soul-feeding planet of diversity and abundance. This one. And in the field of possibility, I pull on this a lot. It's a core belief. In the field of possibility, it really is possible that right now in these times that just look so daunting, in that there is the seed of a new and better story. It is possible that this is a time of absolutely fundamental, powerful, positive evolution. Human. The root word of human is hummus, which means of the earth or the ground. We are literally of the earth. We are a part of, not a part from, all of this 
that is expressing, and that is a true story. Every single day on a planet named Earth is Earth Day. May you love, revere, and restore her. Namaste.